This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, Tom, quick question. Do you remember the first time you cursed in front of your parents? Um, probably had to be a teenager, probably. Yeah. I have I have a very specific recollection when I said the F word in front of my dad. And we were in a pickup truck with my brother and my dad. And I was sitting in like the middle seat of the pickup truck. So I was like very close to my dad and it just slipped out. I think I was like probably 14, 15. I will never forget it because all of a sudden it got just really quiet in that little cabin. And I turned so red. What about like the first time your parent you, you remember your parents cursing at you? <laughs> <laughs> that one I don't remember. I felt like that happened a lot when I was I a kid. Probably, so that I happened when I was like six months old. But um, that is so funny. But yeah, I can yeah. imagine that. Um, yeah. Well, the reason uh, Pete brought that up is that's what we're going to be looking at a little bit today. We said you know we we don't this is a family friendly podcast. Um, we don't curse on this podcast and things like that. But today we're going to be looking at the some of the history behind cursing and also some of the. Um, profane gestures that people use around the world yes and then then we'll kind of finish up i think with some uh other traditions yeah like kind of odd things that other nations or even in this country people may seem as offensive so we'll talk about profanity we'll talk about obviously curse words and we'll talk about some offenses and uh we're going to try to do this without using any profanity (laughs) or offending anybody uh, we'll see. Why do we do this? Why do we do we'll this to see. ourselves? We might have to, you know. We're, we're, we're trying to make something a little happier, and I guess curse words aren't really happy. Although, actually, it is proven well, yeah, they, that they, it is. They relieve stress, re- right? Yes. The more, yeah. the more you curse. Like if you cut your finger, um, there have been studies made that actually like test your levels in your brain. But like if you had, if you get a cut and you're cursing because you got hurt, you actually feel better. Oh, this yeah. is by no means are we going and telling people to start cursing. This is just, you know, just what we well, found you, out. Do what, happen, what you do whenever you cut your finger or something, you just pass out. I pass out, man. Come on. You so, know. Yeah, yeah, you All go, right. You just do that. <laughs> I'm fine. You cracked me up. I guess I'll start off with this idea of like where profanity even comes from, right? I mean, we're not going to talk about every bad word. No, we're, we'll no. obviously touch upon the F word and we'll touch about the S word. Um, but overall, profanity originates, like something that's profane, originates from a classic Latin Profanus, right? Which literally means before or outside the temple. Um, pro being outside and phanum being temple or sanctuary. So it basically has this meaning of like you're desecrating something that is that is sacred or holy. Right? And that's kind of where the idea of profanity comes from. comes from. Yeah, then cursing kind of comes from actually what it sounds like, um, throwing a curse or an evil spell on someone. Um, yes. Early as the 15th century when you start hearing things like this being written down like this. And they're basically talking about um, when you're cursing someone, you're it's with the intention that you're going to uh, affect them on some sort of emotional level. So that's when, right, those curse words when you call someone a here we go, right, an mf'er, okay, or something of that <laughs> yeah. nature, right. <laughs> the go. idea is you're trying to, um, it's there to invoke some sort of emotional response from them, and you're yeah. using that's what that bad language. That's where it comes from. That's where it's a it's a curse. You're trying to get. You're trying to. Not only put a bad spell on them in the old old world sense, but the new sense is trying to get you know get a rise out of them, so to speak. Yes. So the you know your your famous or, or I should say infamous word uh, probably you know I'm just going to get right to it, but 
you know, the F word, right? Which is the word that you never, ever say in front of your parents or anywhere for that matter. Um, so the F word actually is first used in like 15th century. So like in 1400s um, England, but the initial usage of it, um, you know, I guess it is used beforehand a little bit. They say that they're able to trace the wording or rather the spelling of it to 13th century. But the usage, first time recorded usage was 15th century England. And it was used ultimately um, in the connotation of not like cursing somebody out, but the F word was used in connotation of like the sexual act itself. Yes. Right? Yes. Actually, that goes for even like the Roman times. Yeah. Yep. So the idea was that you it wasn't necessarily offensive. It was just how you would refer to sex. Now, um, there's a few different root words from it, but they, they think that a lot of them come from like Old English or actually German words. Um, fake, which is actually spelled F-Y-K-E, uh, is one of the root words. And it's from Old English. And essentially, it means to move like relentlessly. And then ficken, F-I-C-K-E-N, German word, um, it means, again, quick movements, right, of rubbing of something. So you get the idea that the F word kind of stems from the more of the act itself, not, uh, you know, in a sense, uh, a curse word at somebody. However, that connotation changes mainly because of the church, right? So the premise is that in Christianity, the idea is that you were not supposed to um, have intercourse with anybody before marriage and so on and so forth. So when someone would allude to the fact that you were having um, intercourse prior to it and use the F word, the F word in itself became um, profanity because if you're saying that someone is blank, right? Um, it ultimately means that they are doing something that's outside the temple. Again, going to this Latin idea of pro and then fanum, right? So it became a profanity. It became, you know, the word itself became profanity because of the fact of what it implied and because it implied this outside of marriage and church which is why it became profanity. And then obviously over the years, you know, people have gotten really, really creative with the usage of the F word. Oh, absolutely. But, right, but again, it stems from the act and it stems from it being against the church um, because of... Yeah, it's the church um, that being decides that that's yep. profane, therefore that act is profane. So whenever you say it, you're mentioning this profane act and therefore yep. it's, it's you're not supposed to be doing that. So that kind of bridges in, if you don't mind, Pete. Well, one yeah, of the ahead. stories that I always um, – it's debated whether or not this is fact or not. Um, you're going to find that some say it is, some say it isn't. There's, but since we're talking about the F word, the way this, um, that's used uh, to show the F word all the time, which is uh, the middle finger, mm-hmm. giving someone the middle finger. And there's a bunch of these different um, accounts on how this came to be. Why does a middle finger mean what it means? And, you know, if you're ever been driving a car, especially around here in Jersey, you see the middle finger quite a bit. It's just something that kind of happens. And um, one yep. of the um, ones that I remember hearing about, and then I've had just some research, and again, it's debated, but it makes for an interesting story. And um, I'll tell you the two different versions of it, is it actually dates back to the 15th century, 1415, um, the year in France during the Battle of Agincourt, which is this famous battle of 100 years war, but, uh, well, one of, the, one of the wars between France and Britain. And what was going mm-hmm. on prior to this was that um, this is still the age of like knights, right? So the French have these mounted knights and their, their armor is pretty much impervious, except the British eventually, um, a type of tree, they're able to make British longbows, you know, the bows and arrows. And these um, tr- these archers 
are um, very well trained. They're able to actually generate enough force with the bone arrow to pierce French armor. Um, so that what happened was these individuals, when, because they used their middle two fingers, their middle finger and their ring finger to use these bows. And they, it was a technique that was called plucking. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they would pluck these bows and then use them to kill the um, French soldiers. So what happened was whenever these archers were captured in battle, they were often tortured. And even if they were released back to their family, because that's also how things happened back then. I guess we can always do a podcast on that, like medieval battle. You would like auction the soldiers that were caught back to their families for money, for ransom. But they would always, because they were so worried about it, they would always cut off their middle finger. That's what they would always do. So they would be unable to pluck their bows as time went on. So as the story goes, or how it happened was at the Battle of Agincourt, there's, um, the British are held up on this hill in this fort, and there's thousands of French soldiers surrounding the battle. They know they're, you know, they outnumber the British like five to one. So there's no way the British can win this battle. But what happens is the French wait, and while they're waiting the whole night, they are screaming to the, the, the English saying, you know, we're going to come in there. We're going to kill you, all these horrible things. And then it, it rains. It rains really, really bad. So the next morning, the ground is so wet that when the French try to ride up this hill, their horses can't get any traction. They get kind of bogged down and stuck. So while it's taking them longer to get up this hill, the, the English archers can just pick them off. And that's what basically happens. And as they're, and the French are defeated, and as they're fleeing, as the story goes, the English are screaming at them, flashing them the, the middle finger, showing the middle finger, screaming like, hey, French, you know, we can, I still have my fingers. I can still pluck you. That's a supposedly okay. how the story goes. I can still pluck you. Look, I have my finger. And the idea is that over the over the centuries, that the P um, becomes like anglicized with the PH sound and then, and then becomes this more anglicized further with just the F. And then there you go. And then you get the FU basic um, hmm. thing. Um, and it's been debated and it's been argued. That's probably, it's not a lot of history on um, how that happened, where it came from. The other argument for um, FU, I just thought that was a cool story though too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like so. If basically when you start flipping people off, you're not you're not saying "f you" to them. You're saying, "I can shoot you with a longbow, just like the uh, British did at the Battle of Agincourt against the French in 1415." So I'm gonna try oh, that next time. Like gets story, like I could shoot. I could shoot you with a longbow. Yeah, but then like your students are gonna start doing it too. They're gonna be like, "Hey, Mister." Yeah, no, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. But <laughs> probably what they said though, this next one kind of carries into what you were talking about, Pete, with the whole gesture of it being um, phallic in nature, mm-hmm. the middle finger. And it was the idea, again, it's more of a um, sexual threat to that person because you're taking, this actually dates back, um, they found um, writings of this all the way back to 400 BC, which in, in a Roman, in a Greek, in Roman um, parch, uh, paper, they were able to find it. They talked about the Romans used a lot of image of male genitalia to ward off evil spirits. So by extending the third finger from a closed fist, that's making that same threat to somebody. Hmm. That was the um, argument there. Um, so there's a lot of like history just behind, again, this is these little gestures that people do. Let's face it. You know, people do these things. Um, you know, there's a lot of history behind this. There's a lot of, there's, there's reasons why these gestures are known and that they're, and they exist. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, it's interesting because when I was, when I was again, probably around 11, 12 years old, uh, we were driving in a car, it was dark and we were coming back from the mall with my family. And I was, you know, how like back in the day when you never really, buckled in in the back you just kind of sat in the middle um and you tried to stick your head in the front like listen to what your parents were saying so i was sitting in the, in the back of the car but with like my head kind of towards the middle and my mom was telling me you know it was late it was dark and 
She was trying to tell me to make sure I clean my room when I get home. And then I went to like do a thumbs up, but she thought I, I kind of did the middle finger instead of a thumbs up. So I got like, you know, smacked across the head and I was like, I was saying, okay. So I just thought about that. I remember when I was younger, I know um, I was always a big uh, WWF fan growing up. <laughs> and uh, Steve Austin was always, his move was basically he would flip people off <laughs> oh, and great, then great. stun them. So once I started seeing that, I thought that was really cool. You know, <laughs> that was really cool when you're like seven. Yeah. I'm just going to start oh, flipping man. people off and giving them stunners and stuff like that. So, but uh, uh, yeah, that's why I try not to let my kids watch some of the old era wrestling stuff like that. <laughs> nice. Um, so the S ward, right, a little less intense than the F ward. A little less intense. Yeah. Right. Um, still, I would prefer not, you know, my kids not to say that. So the S word itself actually comes from a, a German word. Originally, um, they say that it's ger- Germanic didn't, in a sense. Didn't a lot of these curse words come from the German language? They did. They say it's proto-Germanic word, and it actually stems from the word skit. Um, then eventually mm-hmm. evolves in Middle English the word, you know, S C H I T T E. But essentially, all it really meant was to defecate. Like it meant to to poo. And it wasn't really used per se as as a curse word again until about like fifteen sixty. I don't know what they were doing in fifteen sixty hundred. Well, that was when you had a lot of like the um, the church was like really crashing down a lot of things. You now they're really yeah. like imposing their will throughout a lot of Europe, yeah. and that's basically what happens. And yeah, like that's one reason why you know the the pilgrims left. Right, they're trying to get away from this yeah. religious persecution in a lot of these places, among other reasons. Yeah, but. It, it, essentially, what this meant was defecate. It really meant poop. You know what it does mean today. It's just the way that it started being used as like in a really, really angry way of saying that something was, you know, likened to or similar to, you know, being as bad or dirty as poo. Yeah. Um, and then the word damn, um, I guess that's a little better. I see it because I felt comfortable enough to say it. Yeah. Uh, origins is that's Latin um, come from damnum, which means damage, hurt or harm. So I guess it's it's fitting that usually you say that when like you you know hit yourself with something by accident. Which really you say damn because that's one that people don't really you know mind saying as much. You'll even hear that on like TV and whatever. And they say like right. the biggest what I was a lot of the research is a lot of the one of the worst curses that you could say to someone back then in the 1500s was going up to someone and say um, go to hell. Yes, like that was like a big deal. Now you hear it all the time like that you know because it's talking about the place. The actual place, mm-hmm. and that's the you know you're condemning that person's soul to hell. That's like the worst thing you can possibly do. Because remember, back then people's lives were not great for the most part. So the afterlife is really all they had to look forward to. Like you know when they're done with this life, Absolutely. so to condemn them to internal damnation, you know, with the devil yeah. is not going to be something that they want to do. And um, so to, to tell someone, hey, go to hell, like that's that was intense. That was that was something that was really going to invoke that emotion, emotional response to people. And I think that's really reflective of, of the fact that certain words kind of lose their profanity, oh, yeah. especially the, me now, the more like, secular. Yeah, the more secular about. we become, like the yeah. less religious we become as a, as a people. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, a lot of these words kind of, again, some of them are still taboo in a sense of society, but they're a lot more common than they were. Like even the idea in England, uh, you know, one of the biggest words that was very much considered bad was bloody, like bloody hell, you yeah. know, like you're saying. And the idea of like, bloody just adding that to the word hell and today again like just look at harry potter movies i mean that's all you hear is bloody hell but if you said that in like you know middle ages england like you said that would have been extremely offensive today um when when we talk about curse words right some of the statistics say that um 
Recorded conversations revealed that an average of roughly 80 to 90 words that a person, an average person speaks each day, right, are swear words. 80 to 90 words that we speak are swear words, uh, which equates to about 0.5 to 0.7% of all words, right? In comparison, first person plural pronouns like we, us, or our make up 1% of spoken words. So I guess it's not so, that much. You think about all the words you say in one day. Yeah, but like 90 like, times, like, I don't I mean, I don't think i curse that much i mean again our job kind of prevents us from cursing so also a few interesting things um keel university right did a a study that swearing relieves the effects of physical pain like they actually say that like if you you know if you hurt yourself you probably should swear it will make you feel like what do you think though like could it be like you're actually saying those words what if you just said like any words but just with that same like intensity right like if like if if you're just like oh uh, orange juice you know, yeah, you're I was gonna say crumbs. crumbs. Like, would that do the same thing? Because you're just kind of like letting out that rage, that anger. That anger? Yeah, maybe. Or, I don't maybe. know. I'm sure. I'm sure they've done studies with this, but I'm gonna try oh, it. They definitely time. have. I'm gonna like, um, stub my toe and just scream like chocolate ice cream and see what happens. <laughs> People might think that something's not right with you. Yeah. Well, so think that. when it comes to you know again profanity and curse words, right? Um, it's it's essentially become socially offensive. So there was quite a few things that are associated with it. The one thing is that, especially in like, uh, I would say 1800s, 1900s, uh, turn of a century when you have the second industrial revolution, the premise was that a lot of people that were working class people cursed. And it was impolite and not classy for the upper, you know, echelons, the upper, you know, socioeconomic groups to curse. Especially for women, right? Yeah. So therefore, like cursing actually almost showed your socioeconomic class you know what i mean like if you curse that usually meant you were not educated because you couldn't articulate what you were hearing, trying to yeah, say i remember hearing that for like my grandmother used to say that stuff oh if you curse too much you have a mouth like a sailor that that means that you're not well educated that you're not smart enough to express yourself without using exactly to articulate i remember yep. hearing that especially from like yeah grandparents would say that a lot there's different types and purposes of swear words right they said abusive swearing obviously it's intended to offend somebody or intimidate somebody Cathartic, meaning, you know, it's a response to pain or misfortune. And that is, again, studies have been um, done and they show that this supposedly alleviates some of the pain. Empathetic swearing, like you intend to draw additional attention to what is considered to be worth paying attention to. You know, like, oh, like this really terrible day, but you don't say the word terrible, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also say that people often swear to try to become closer with the person that they're swearing towards, if that makes sense. That if you feel comfortable enough to swear in front of a person, the premise is that you're showing that person your trust in them, in a I sense. Can yeah, I can understand right? that. Yeah. So these are some of the studies that actually have come out. Like you don't usually um, curse on the first date and stuff like that, I'm sure. Yeah, not supposed to do that. And what's interesting, too, is that in some countries, cursing has really made its way to criminal codes you know it's it's actually illegal because it's oh, yeah. so offensive to um to curse well there are some but, really offensive curses too out there like yes that people, like sayings that people use and well, i just saw some of the translations i was like wow yes <laughs> so i work uh, I, I mean obviously free speech is not going to be i don't think it should be illegal but i could see why it would be illegal and that's what I was going to get at. In the United States, right, courts have generally ruled that the government does not have any right whatsoever to uh, prosecute someone that, you know, that says a bad word because they're saying that's a violation of the right to free speech. And you can't do that. It's your First Amendment. 
just like a lot of people don't realize that in the United States, you can actually burn the American flag. Like that's legal. That is considered your freedom of speech, non nonverbal freedom of speech. So similar here, like if you go on the street and you just start screaming the F word, um, you can't necessarily get arrested for screaming the F word. However, you could probably get arrested for, you know, like disturbance of peace or something like that. Yeah, there's, there's ways around that. Like when we did that one on the weird laws, I do remember seeing certain things like you yeah. were about the curse in public at a certain time or curse outside of church during these hours. But again, you're going to get more. That's not what you're getting charged with. You're getting charged with probably a public disturbance, disturbing the peace, something of that nature. Essentially, uh, the idea here is that cursing, although the basic origin stems from something that was against the church, the more secular we've become, the, even though it's no longer against the church, societies have taken it upon themselves to make cursing something that is kind of looked down upon as again, maybe a hundred years ago, as a means of showing your inaptitude um, and lack of education, or eventually as lack of class that, you know, you're cursing for that reason. And today it's kind of stuck around and then very much so, like I have some students that, you know, over here cursing in school and I tell them all the time, stop cursing. And they're like, why? Because this is not the place to do that. Um, and that's kind of the social norms that we've trained ourselves to. But this, you know, when you offend somebody and you go about offending someone, it's not just what you say. There's some other things that we do that seem extremely offensive yeah, and, to yeah, other thing people. As we bridge that, it's like pronouncing like cursing. When you curse, sometimes you'll might, I get it. I remember sometimes somebody like, why are you cursing so much right now? I'm like, I don't, you don't even know you're doing it sometimes. That's like, it becomes, yeah. I guess you said those 90 words a day, whatever. But you're, you're again, you're, you're intentionally saying it a lot of times, especially if you're saying it to another person. You're saying it to get that emotional response. A lot of what we're going to talk about now with some of these gestures, some of these um, things that people do, that's, it's unintentional, but based on cultural differences, yes. it, it, it's, it's offensive. Consider, it's considered offensive, yeah. So you got anything um, you want to go with that, that's well, considered offensive and not a curse word, but it's offensive, especially in other cultures? Well, one that I that kind of stuck out to me um, was that in several cultures around the world, particularly in parts of um, Europe, it's actually considered um, disrespectful to wear sweatpants or flip-flops out in public. Okay. And that just made me think of like, again, just like going to work and with all like the students and just seeing people, you go to like, a, you go to the store, go everywhere around. And that's all people are really wearing, especially if you do happen to go out now during the pandemic. Um, most people are just wearing just anything comfortable. They're not getting dressed up to go out. The Battle of Waterloo was one of the most famous turning points in world history. But what happened next? My name's David Montgomery, and I'm the host of The Siecla, a history podcast that tackles exactly that. Join me as I cover France's overlooked century in between Napoleon and World War I. The Siecla, spelled S-I-E-C-L-E, is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and can be found wherever you get podcasts. And again, that idea is that you're looking um, sloppy. Again, this is mostly in Europe and Japan from what I saw, um, that sloppy appearance is considered disrespectful. And if you see someone, if like a family member sees you out like that, you're bringing shame to like the whole family. It's not just you. I thought that was kind wow. of interesting. Another one that I found interesting that is considered offensive, and it wouldn't be considered offensive in the Western cultures, because when you think about Western cultures, you know, we use toilet paper. Um, you That's probably funny. heard this one, but uh, using your left hand for anything, if you're seen using your left hand for anything in certain cultures, it's considered extremely offensive, uh, particularly um, in Africa, you know, different portions of Africa, India, 
and Middle East, it's kind of like a slap in the face if you try to touch someone or put your left hand on them. And mainly because of the fact that those cultures in these areas of the world don't necessarily use toilet paper. So they tend to use their left hand in lieu of toilet paper. So if you are touching things with your left hand, especially if you're eating, like if you're lefty you're from the West and you go to India and you start eating with your left hand, like people get essentially very offended that you would touch food with what essentially, uh, you know, amounts to or, you know, like toilet paper. Yeah. But that's right. Free, yeah. So I thought that one was uh, was kind of interesting. And then another one that is extremely offensive that we don't find offensive here in the United States is uh, notably China and India, right? That you're not when you get a gift from somebody, you're not supposed to ever open that gift in front of them. Um, that's considered extremely offensive. It makes you look greedy. Uh, but the one that I, another one that I found interesting was actually in the Netherlands. If you meet someone from the Netherlands, um, you have to make sure you do not ask them what do you do. Like again, in America, that's kind of a common thing. Oh, what do you do for a living? What do you, what do you, you know, that sort of thing. What do you do? You know, what's your job? Stuff like that. That's considered. It's actually considered insulting because the idea is that. Um, Midlands is kind of a socialist country and you feel like they're, they're kind of um, almost pigeonholing them there. You're being classist. You're saying, you know, you're only going to see them if they say, oh, they're an engineer. You're only going to see them as an engineer. Whereas in like huh. Western culture, it's more of seen as, well, that's just, that's your job. That's your skill, right? It's, it's, it's your profession there. It's seen as more of that's what you do. That That's you. That's it. So yeah. that was kind of interesting. You don't ask them, you know, what do you do for a living? What's your job? Because that's good. That, that would actually be very, very, um, upsetting to them. And then this one is kind of interesting because, you know, obviously, you know, here we're talking about showing someone a middle finger and that being offensive. And you don't, you know, you think of the opposite of a middle finger of like saying, okay, or of like, um, you know, hugging someone or patting someone on their back, like saying it's going to be okay. Touching in many cultures, yeah. hugging and touching is extremely offensive, particularly actually in, uh, you know, in Asia, the idea is that, you know, give me your, give me my space. Like don't personal space is a big deal. Yeah, don't touch me. Well, and you can, but then you see those images of like in Japan where everyone's, they actually have people that their job is to push people into those um, subway cars, right? So they can get the doors closed because it's so like overcrowded. Are you serious? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Wow. So like it's personal space when personal space can be allowed. But to piggyback on that a little bit, I know I know a lot of um, Asian cultures, particularly in Korean culture, you're, it's um, it's impolite or sign of almost trying to be intimidating if you stare someone in the eyes when you when you're speaking to them especially like someone mm -hmm. who's older and um well, i saw an interesting documentary years ago on the um, 38th parallel uh, that separates north and south korea and they said this is an example i guess of um americans playing on this what mm -hmm. they said is there's a there's an office there that's around the 30th parallel that's shared um by both sides the north koreans and the south koreans and there's a guard there's two guards that guard that room they guard a door in the room and they're always facing each other and certain hours there's always a south korean guard there and always a north korean guard but for the um south koreans eventually over you know over the course of 24 hours there's an american guard because well, we have a strong military presence there mm -hmm. that takes place that you know goes on duty there and they're saying when the american guard goes one thing they always do they always find the biggest guard on base so they get some guy who's like six five six six Mm -hmm. particularly because the South Koreans are much, um, the North Koreans, excuse me, are much smaller. But the whole point is what they do is they will stare that person in the eyes the entire time. That's what they're told to do. So mm -hmm. that's considered like, you know, in a taboo or uncomfortable in their culture that they're told the entire time you're there, you are staring the North Korean soldier in the eyes. And they're basically the whole time they the North Korean soldier is like looking around the room, not staring in the eyes or will actually put on um, sunglasses a lot of times 
because it's like too uncomfortable. I just thought wow. that was kind of uh, interesting. You know, that's kind of how it's being played up in this kind of like, you know, for the last, what, 60 years <laughs> since, the, since the armistice. Also, you know, we're, so I guess we're concentrating on what other nations kind of view as offensive that Americans do. And Americans I think we're going to flip that script a little bit in a second yeah. and, and talk about what other nations, vice versa, like what other nations would, or rather what Americans would find offensive about other nations. Um, but before we get there, there's one other couple other ones that kind of come to mind. One is refusing food. You know, like when you go over someone's house and someone's trying to feed you and then you're like, you kind of want to make it easier on your host. And you're like, no, it's, that's okay. No, I'm, I'm not hungry. It's fine. Like if you go into a house, yeah, in any like Arab countries and and they try to give you food and you say no, it is, uh, might as well say the F word to them. You know what I mean? Because well, it is yeah. extre- I mean, that's extremely sure. offensive. That's also, I mean, crazy dating, dating and marrying in a, in a, into an Italian family. I can tell you if you try to refuse food there, even oh, yeah, if you do take the food, but then if you're just refuse even more food, it, it was kind of difficult. I always yeah. thought like I could eat, but it was nothing compared to uh, when you start getting indoctrinated in that. But uh, yeah, it's the same thing. It's the same funny. thing. It's considered in, insulting. It's like I, there's only so much lasagna I can eat before the main course comes out. Like, well, yeah, if you, you're, you're refusing to eat. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, definitely. And since we're on, on food, uh, you know, like they say that in the United States, um, people live to work versus in other countries, people work to live. Mm-hmm. And because of that, in the United States, you know, people are always on the go. They're always working. And that's why you have this growth of this, like, you know, these like shakes or yeah. quick like bars, yeah. meal on replacement. Me- meal yeah, on the go. The, exactly. And actually in a lot of um, Asian countries, specifically in Japan, it's considered rude to eat anywhere that is not a restaurant. Like you cannot eat in public. That's like if so you're on a bus, yeah. that is extremely offensive to the person that's sitting next to you, which I thought that was really interesting. Also, if a bunch of uh, kids are eating during your Zoom class, that, 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 that would be offensive. You don't even want to get – How many times I have to wake kids up? <laughs> I'm like, please wake up. Wake like, up, like, uh, wake up. I'll, I'll be right back. I, my, uh, my soup is done in the microwave. <laughs> yeah, I, get, I got someone making um, muffins the other day. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they're baking muffins. Yeah. I was busy. like, you know what? Just as long as you bring some in tomorrow. Staying okay. busy. Staying busy. Um, so I think a good segue into the flipping that coin and what we will find offensive in the United States that is not so offensive in other countries. Yeah. Because um, let's face it, as Americans, we pretty much we we offend a lot of people pretty much all the time. Yes. So <laughs> let's like look at it the other way. Like, what offends Americans that you know are not curse words, actual offenses? And the one that I think it's a perfect segue because it's such a dichotomy between this and you know us and other countries is the idea of tipping. Like if you want to be offensive in America, like just don't leave a tip. If you don't leave a tip, you will be like the most offensive person ever. Versus in other countries, when you do leave a tip, you get like a funny look. Like uh, they might get like in certain countries specifically to say like South Korea, people value their work so much and they believe that they get compensated enough for their work that if you leave them a tip it's almost like degrading to them that like you know they did something wrong which i think is again it's for us it may seem different but to them if you're tipping them you're actually offending them like they don't need a tip they're they are well compensated for their work versus you know if someone comes from another country to the united states and goes to a diner and doesn't tip like yeah that's that's pretty offensive oh yeah um right and then uh, a couple other ones, um, talking in the imperative form, right? So other languages don't kind of beat around the bush. Instead of saying, I would like a coffee, if they translate it directly, they say something more like, give me a coffee. And a lot of times when people come to the United States, 
uh, whether they're on vacation or something else, they kind of directly translate their language, you know, this imperative form. So as opposed to saying, I would like coffee, that you know, they'll go to Starbucks and they'll be like, give me coffee. Like that probably would seem extremely offensive to whoever your barista is and is making you that particular coffee. Another thing is drinking age. You know, drinking age in the United States is strictly 21 versus in Europe, it's 18. And it becomes very offensive um, if someone as an adult offers someone in the United States a drink that but they're below the age of 21. That and that should an adult be a crime too. Forget about being offensive, right? Is that yep. a crime? Did, yeah, it is. And did, you, did you know um, that actually the drinking age is technically 18, but the federal government um, subsidizes states uh, for yeah, their too. roads? Roads, roads and um, infrastructure to keep it at 21. 21. Yep. So actually it's 18 in every state. It's just the federal government because it's a reserved, um, reserved right. law of the states. Well, it was so, 18 for a, in, uh, for a, um, it was, oh, then they switched time. it. In the eighties, they switched it. Yeah. Yeah. To but when they switched it, which I thought was really interesting is the fact that like, it's technically still 18, just the states enforce it to 21 due to the fact that they get federal grants and money, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, another thing. So Americans are kind of prude in the sense that we get very offended by um, nudity and Europeans, for example, do not. Right. So like letting kids play naked, you know, whether it's in a water fountain somewhere or it's on a beach. Uh, if someone's a little kid and they run around naked in Europe, like that's you don't think twice about it. You know, they're like two years old, three years old, whatever. In the United States, we get extremely offended um, through nudity, regardless of the age, but it's particularly young nudity. So while you might have someone in a fountain outside in France at the age of three playing around naked in the United States, that would be a big, yeah, be a big no, 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 that would be, a, well, that would be, again, yeah. that, that could be a crime. Yeah. You could see, it, I absolutely. Could see some, someone getting in trouble for that, letting their kid do that. Depends on a lot of factors, obviously, but you could definitely see that. I wouldn't be surprised if there's definitely cases with, you know, that, that, that's what happened. Um, I did find one that I thought was kind of interesting because it, it, it offends some Americans, but not all, which all these two, it would, some Americans aren't going to care more than others. But one that I found interesting in, because I don't think I, I've been called this before. It didn't offend me, but I could see, I guess it could offend other people is um, calling an American a yank. Okay. If you call them a Yankee or you call them a yank, um, they said that probably if you're from the North or Northern state, it's not going to offend you. You're not even going to realize it, but if from the South to call someone from the South, a yank or a Yankee will uh, pretty much drive them crazy. Um, they're okay. saying that it's, 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 it's a, um, seen as a big time slur to them because of the whole like, you know, civil war connections and stuff like that. So I thought that was mm. kind of a interesting, um, one, because again, like it kind of shows like how the lines are drawn out. Certain people are going to get offended by it while others are just not even going to realize it or be like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a Yankee. Oh, cool. Derek Jeter. Awesome. Yeah. Why not? You know, like mm. that sort of thing. So but that was interesting. So another thing that's, that is interesting. And I, it's funny because I say this to my kids, uh, and again, my kids are like 12 and nine, but and we always laugh that every time it's my wife's birthday, you know, she like celebrates another anniversary of her 27th birthday, right? <laughs> and and they're like, well, how come mom doesn't want to say how old she is? And I say that, well, because it's kind of rude to ask a woman her age. And, you know, it's kind of offensive if you ask a woman how old she is. And then, you know, my one son's like, but I know every girl in my class ages. I'm like, well, that's different because you're in seventh grade and you kind of have an idea. But in the real world, it's actually offensive to ask a woman on her age. And, and that stems from this idea, kind of uh, women's rights idea that women are mostly judged by what they look like. 
or at least were judged by what they look like. And, and to a certain extent, they still are um, in our society, in Western societies. So when you ask a woman how old she is, that's assuming that you only care about her looks um, and not her intelligence. And therefore, that is considered rude. Okay. So that I thought sense. that was... I thought okay. that was so yeah, I, I know you never ask... I remember always hearing that you never ask a woman their age, things in that nature. It's supposed to be like kind of like a guarded secret, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and talking about you know women in a sense, do you know that... Um, they say that if you're a female and your name sounds, uh, like a male, right. You sound like you have, your name is Billy, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's actually guys who you know, like, so you think of like a, you have more of like a guy name versus a girl name and you put that on a resume, your the statistics of you getting a callback go up significantly. If you're a girl with a guy sounding name, you know, and they say that there's no more, uh, discrimination in the workforce, it's just crazy because clearly. Well, no, there's laws the that prevent it. That doesn't mean it doesn't still happen. Exactly. It's a big difference. Big difference. Right. It kind of other things that we find, again, going back to this idea of like nudity, which we find extremely offensive. Uh, in other countries, you could go on a beach and see a woman uh, sunbathing topless. In the United States, like not only is that frowned upon, offensive, but you will actually get a ticket and you could end up in jail. All right. You have anything else? Well, I, I saw, like I was talking about a lot of other ones. They said that things that offend um, Americans is actually if you to talk negatively about their country that um, like we're allowed to complain about our country, but you better not complain about us. Mm -hmm. I thought that was always interesting. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I can kind of see that. They said Americans have a very sense of like loyalty to their country that like they can say whatever they want about it. We can criticize the president. We can criticize anything we want, but you better not. And that's kind of the, yeah. goes back to the, uh, the idea that like when you go to other countries around the world, they're not going around saying how they're the greatest country ever. Where that's, that's yeah. a very American trait. And that's one reason why a lot of times Americans are viewed as being rude when they go to other cultures. Not that we're going there and screaming we're the best and stuff like that, but that's, that's the perception. And because, again, whenever you hear speeches, you know, it's not just God bless America, but it's the greatest country on earth, the greatest, you know, the beacon of hope, the, the beacon of democracy type of, type of ideal. And that, that can turn a lot of people off. So they're going to yeah. just view that negatively. So if they criticize the United States, that upsets a lot of people. In the United States, say, how dare you criticize us? Out of out of yeah. all the out of all the other countries, you're going to criticize our country, and that that's going to that gets a lot of um, anger. Basically, it's going to lead to curse yeah. words. See, full circle. <laughs> that's funny. And same thing actually goes for sitting through a national anthem. Americans get very yeah. offended, which is why everything you know has been going on in the news for the past yeah, couple with years. The kneeing at the national yeah, anthem national anthems like because hot, um, it shouldn't. It's it's a big issue. It's a big issue. Yeah, very very big issue. And uh, in a lot of countries, you know, are not as intense about their national anthem. The United States takes it very, very seriously. You know, a couple other ones before we call this a day. Uh, you probably see this in the movies a lot, but kissing people on the cheek. Like, that's, that's kind of a no-no in this country. Um, a lot of people, when you come from Europe, especially I know what my family used to come in to visit, they do the whole, like, kiss on one cheek, kiss another cheek, and then go back to the original cheek. Like whether you're a guy, you know, kissing a guy, girl kissing girl, it doesn't matter, right? You just do like the three kiss thing. Um, and Americans very much like, yeah, no, like don't put your mouth on my face. Like even when they do like the whole kiss on a cheek thing, they don't actually kiss. They just it's do like that, just, you know, yeah, like we just do the whole like hug and like the, the air kiss on a cheek versus in other cultures, they like, you know, flat out it's kiss fun. you. They're, they're spit. They're saliva exchange. Yeah. <laughs> oh. You got you to wipe. I remember um, obviously – that's not something that my uh, family did 
uh, at all. But I remember meeting friends and stuff like that. And they would like their, their families would come over and do that. And I was like, right, I'm not going there anymore. Like was just, that was just like, <laughs> I wouldn't say it offended me, but it definitely made me feel uncomfortable. You'd be like, oh, here comes that ant. Here you go. This is a, you know, what's going to happen type of thing. You know, that's so. funny. And then um, I kind of, I figured maybe we could finish this one. In the United States, Americans kind of find it offensive when they encounter people speaking another language. You know, like if you're in a store and you hear people speaking another language, people are like, look at you like, uh, like why, why you're speaking? Like, I don't understand yeah, what you're saying. Like, if you're which, in America, speak English type of thing. Yeah, you hear a lot of that, which is, you know, kind of hypocritical in a sense because the United States actually does not have a national language. A lot of people yes. don't know that. Yeah. Um, we don't have one. People are like, well, what's the, if I ask my students, what's the national language of the United States? And they're like, English. I'm like, wrong. There is no such thing as a national language. The Constitution does not grant or specify a national English language. English is the most, is the most, is the the most common. Most things are spoken, most common, but it's not yeah. the, uh, it's, it's not, not the national, the and it national never language. Be, it never will be a national language. Nope. Not in the Constitution. Not unless they put an amendment. Don't right? see that happening anytime soon. And I, I, a lot of these things that we find offensive are kind of stem from the idea that, like I said, Americans are very like prudish about their sexuality and stuff. Like even public feeding a baby, you know, like in Europe, if you're feeding a baby, breastfeeding a baby, it's completely normal. In in America, in the United States, it's like, uh, and talk about America. I keep on saying America, but that's actually offensive if you go to another country in the Americas. Like if you go to Peru and you keep on saying America, like. That, that, they yeah. feel they, yeah they feel like that's offensive that's not america, we're talking america about the United States. yeah you have to you specify the united states yes, yes. that's one that i that um is out there yeah because you're kind of why we grew up like the entire western hemisphere is suddenly just being called america yeah. you know that's not the so. case there's other cultures other societies that are very very different that are going to have different viewpoints and yet it's all being lumped together and again they don't want to be lumped together with the united states really so we were just we were doing here too americans americans you know, yeah. talking about the United States. Obviously. Yeah, we messed up. We were offending everyone through this whole podcast. We didn't even know. That's what we're we terrible. What but we in the grand scheme of things, actually, you know, now that we're coming to a close, I think we did we did okay. We were like, it was funny when this came up. Like, hey, we should do something about like curse words and offenses. And then we we're like, well, we can't do offenses without doing curse words. And then we can't really do curse words without talking about other offenses. But you know, how do we go around, you know, talking about curse words without using curse words? So I think we we did okay. It's, it's, again, it's the history behind it, the stories, the the facts, it's, they're interesting. So it, it gives context to a lot of it. I think this was like a combination of like history, sociology, and some pop culture. The humanities. So, the hum- this is humanities. The humanities teachers talking. Yes. Oh, right. Let, let's, not, let's not confuse anyone. But yes, that's kind of what this was. So um, that definitely wraps it up. Just to kind of remind everyone that we are, please uh, kind of look for us. We are on Facebook. So you guys can just search History Teachers Talking Podcast on Facebook as well as Twitter. And Instagram, and we also have a website called uh, History Teachers Talking Podcast dot com. Uh, if anyone you know feels the need to email us, talk about topics, suggestions, absolutely comments, and uh, profanity, and do, hopefully not, but <laughs> yeah, hopefully not profanities. We'll see everybody next week. So uh, thanks for listening. Take care. Bye bye, everyone. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. 
Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.